Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Where's This Going? Before we get started, I would like to thank my sponsor, U.S. Wellness Meats. At U.S. Wellness Meats, all of their beef, lamb, bison, and dairy products are 100% grass-fed and grass-finished. They also offer pasture-raised heritage pork, free-range poultry, and wild-caught seafood. U.S. Wellness Meats has over 400 all-natural whole foods in their online store at uswellnessmeats.com. All of their foods are raised on family farms dedicated to sustainable and ethical principles. They do not use any pesticides, herbicides, antibiotics, growth hormones, or GMOs. The owners are the farmers themselves, and they specialize in a variety of special diets and have hundreds of paleo, keto, Whole30, sugar-free, and AIP-friendly foods. It really does make a difference. Put the best quality fuel in your body and get the best results. Grass-fed and pasture-raised foods our nature's high-octane fuel. Use promo code PODCAST, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T, for 15% off store-wide savings at uswellnessmeats.com. And a big shout-out to the Republic of Tea. The Republic of Tea enriches people's lives with great-tasting premium teas and herbs. Innovation and education emphasizing a sip-by-sip rather than a gulp-by-gulp lifestyle. Offering over 300 varieties, the Republic of Tea has delicious aromatic selections for absolutely everyone. Check out the new beautifying botanicals and organic single sips, as well as savor the classics like ginger peach black tea and organic double green matcha. Every shipment includes free samples so you can discover new tastes along with all of your favorites. Visit republicoftea.com today to explore the many ways to delight in tea. Reward yourself as you create your own tea ritual with the Republic of Tea. Listeners to this podcast can get free shipping using code PODCASTFS. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-F-S. For free shipping on your next order until the end of 2019. Go check it out today. And my next guest is one of the hottest comedians alive today. He hosts a podcast, Tuesdays with Stories with Joe List. He has an amazing special, Don't Be Yourself, out everywhere. He is truly one of the greatest comedians breathing on this earth today. Please welcome Mark Norman. And we're live. Hey, hey. Mark Norman, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This is a hot pad you got here. <laughs> is there something that the world doesn't know about you? Uh, well, I might have mentioned this before, but uh, I do a weird thing. I'm always about conserving time. I-, I have a fear of dying and death, so I'm always like, how can I make the most out of my life right now? So what I do is I lift my feet off the ground anytime I'm sitting in a chair. Just do it right now. Just lift your feet up, just like at two inches off the ground. And it works your abs. So I'm just working my abs right now. I'm exercising. And wow. then I have pretty solid sixer. And people always go, how do you do it? I go, just randomly, every time on the train or uh, in a movie or whatever, classroom, podcast, lift them up. And then you forget. You put them down. And you go, oh, yeah. And then you pick them up again. So now I'm, I'm exercising. I'm burning calories. Wow. You don't even know it. That's the key to, to a six-pack. Maybe, yeah, yeah. And like, you know, if you're like, ah, I ate like shit today, I hate myself, I'm gay, I'm hungover, whatever it is, just do that and you're like, all right, well, at least I'm doing something. Does it make you feel more more alive? 
Not really more alive. Just feels like I'm I'm uh, not as lazy. Productive. That's the word. There we go. Okay, so I have so much so much I want to get into. But first, um, I was listening the past few days. I've literally only had your voice in my head. I've been listening Ooh, to every. No, it's, it's a it's a good voice. Uh, <laughs> don't don't read my comments. They beg to diff. <laughs> I'm very curious. I want to go like more in a, in a chronological sense just to start. You started comedy at 22 years old. You got that right. What the fuck were you doing before? Ah, oh, I was such a mess. I lived in a house with five guys at a college in uh, Louisiana. I lived in Baton Rouge, lived on Hyacinth Street. And me and these guys, we just played frisbee all day and drink and listen to music. And we had beer pong. We had a pool table. We had a hot tub. We had a back deck with a barbecue pit. We built a beautiful bar. One of our friend, one of our roommates was like a construction guy. He built this beautiful bar. We lacquered it. We called it the glory hole. We cut a middle hole out of it in the, in the bottom of it and just uh, stocked it with booze that we'd steal from bars and stores and everything. And uh, we just had a grand old time, but... We didn't have any skills. We weren't good at anything. We were losers. We weren't going anywhere. We were rudderless. And I was wildly depressed. But, you know, you drink so much that you don't know you're depressed till you're sober. And, uh, yeah, that's what I was doing. And, you know, we were stealing street signs and trying to get laid and, you know, shit like that. What did you expect to be doing during that time later in life when you were in college? I was always one of these guys like, maybe, oh, that's a, this is a cool restaurant. I'll wait tables here. This will be good. You know, you see like a 40-year-old waiter like, I could do that. I had such low self-esteem, still do. And I remember I settled on UPS guy. I was like, "That's I'm going to be a UPS guy. That seems like a good gig. You're in shorts. You got no door on the car. You're outdoors, no office. So that was my highest bar of achievement was the UPS. Maybe FedEx if I really, you know, stuck to my guns. But, uh, yeah, that was it. I, I never, you know, comedy was like Bill Cosby, uh, you know, uh, you know, Steve Martin or Seinfeld. It was like such a astronomical feat. So uh, UPS guy was really, that was my, that was my go-to goal. Were you a funny kid growing up? Funny kid, yeah. I, I never got these guys like, no, I was quiet. I was quiet. I was a weirdo and a bedwetter and uh, the whole thing. But uh, yeah, I was funny. I was obsessed with comedy. I loved Bill Murray. I loved Groucho. I loved uh, Damon Wayans. I loved all these guys. And uh, just absorbing comedy all the snl ferris bueller's day off cartoons the simpsons so yeah always obsessed i think you say the first time you did comedy you drove three hours away from uh from home to to do a set that's Is right it? that's right when i wasn't doing it in class but that was like officially an open mic. But I remember one time, and this is a, a nutty story. It sounds like a Hallmark movie. But I was sick as a dog when I was like six or five. I was really young. I was in kindergarten or something like that. And my mom had to go to work. She was a teacher at this University of New Orleans. And so she goes, you got to come to work with me. I can't. You're too young to leave you. There's no babysitter. You're puking everywhere. I got to bring you to work. So I had to sit there in her boring law class with law students. And she went to go do something, like get something out of the copy machine. And she came back. I don't really remember this, but she said I was on the desk doing jokes, like doing jokes I'd read in a joke book because I was a big joke book guy. And I was like, you know, what does a, a ghost eat for dessert? Booberry pie. And I was killing, killing, she said. And, you know, because I think they're just pity laughing. I'm a five-year-old douche on a desk, you know, telling knock-knock jokes. But officially, that was the first time I did stand-up. And did you, you killed? killed but it's a, it's a novelty you know i'm a kid and it's fun and these are like adults i probably could have gotten laid the, the ladies were going nuts but uh yeah yeah it was uh i didn't even know what stand-up was but that's what i was doing and then i took a speech class in college 
and I was writing an act because you have to deliver the speech and like get graded on how well you present it and and say it out loud and all that. And I didn't realize like I was writing stand up then. I was doing jokes because I was so nervous. I had horrible stage fright, and so I would write jokes in there and the laugh. I'd go, oh, all right, I can relax, and then back to the boring information. I'm boring. I'm boring. I have such a fear of being boring, and uh, that's a big reason why. I'm talking too much here. Under, Sorry. I mean, we're, I uh, want you to talk all more. Right, all right. See, I was worried I was boring you. That's, that's you'll, nev- uh, you'll never bore me. Truth to power, whatever the hell that is. Uh, you can't handle the truth. I don't know. You know what I'm talking about. But uh, so, yeah, I, uh, I, uh, where was I? Fear, fear of boring people. Fear of boring, yes. Where does that stem from? Oh, yeah. So my parents suck. So they were always, uh, they, they were workaholics. So they were just like, hey, watch TV. Like, don't talk to us. And so I was like, always got to thought of a fun, I need a way to really grab them. There's got to be a way. And every now and then you get a glimpse of your dad being like, oh, that's not bad. And you're like, yes, I feel alive. I I feel whole. But it was so hard to do. And that's why comedy was so important to me. Because if you got to laugh, it was a genuine involuntary reaction. So uh, I think that's why I was obsessed. Was it therapeutic for you in a sense? Oh, yeah, still is, still is. And that's people always go, you're a real joke guy. You got your joke per minute ratio is insane. I'm like, yeah, yeah, because I'm freaking out every silent moment. <laughs> I got to have another punchline or I'm panicking. Do you feel like you have, I'm, I'm curious as to how your your brain functions. Do you feel mm. like you have all these jokes and you just you can just whip them out? You you know all oh, yeah. of them in the back of your head? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm almost like a, uh, I don't want to say martial arts guy, but like, I feel like I've been studying comedy so long. I'm not saying I'm a black belt or anything, but I have a lot in my arsenal all the time in any situation. You go to the weird girlfriends. You got to meet her parents. I got jokes for that. I got jokes for the job interview. I got jokes for the DMV. I'm all over the place with jokes just because it, it gets me out of fear for two seconds. You know? So talk about, I mean, you, you do have a lot of, of bits about self-esteem and fear mm-hmm. and all of those kinds of topics. And I think, you know, even Josh and I were talking about it before you got here. One of the things that I love about your comedy is there's so much truth to it. Mm. And I think those jokes really land well because you're able to describe things in ways that we can all relate to. Ooh. And you put like a obviously like a, a comedic twist to it so it's, sure. it, it, it hits extra hard. Right, um, right. We talk about, you know, where those fears come from, where that, I mean, you always joke about having so, low self-esteem, but then at the same time, you know, you go in front of stages maybe with hundreds, thousands of people and you, you fucking murder. Right. So where, like, I think it's an interesting combination of fear and low self-esteem, but at the same time, you know, you're one of the best comics, hottest comics today, so. Oh, wow. I don't know about that. In my eyes, at least. Well, hey, thanks. But I, I, it's a good question. One, people, I'm a big introvert. And uh, people always say, how can you be an introvert if you're standing in front of 500 people? And I actually wrote a bit about that. It's because you can't talk. I got this whole thing under my control. I got I got my thumb on all of your asses right now. That's why I can do it. If you guys heckle me, I'll shut down again. I mean, I can probably go back and forth with you, but that's why. And then... You say, like, uh, what were you saying? You say you have low self-esteem, but you can still joke. You know, that's that's where the jokes came from. And also, those jokes bomb for weeks, weeks of trying to figure it out. And some people, like, you go to the middle of the country, they're not as big on anxiety and uh, therapy-ish kind of stuff as we are in these coastal cities. So they're like, anxiety? What? In- introvert? What is that? Does that mean you, you like dudes? I don't know what that means. So you're like, no, no, just... They don't have that. They're, they're, they're like, we got to go to work. Like, we don't have introversion. I mean, if, yeah, I need my alone time every now and I crack a beer, I watch a game. But you suck it up. You go to work. You, you, you hug your wife. You kiss your kids, whatever. So 
Those jokes are really hard to get to work because they're not relatable to everybody. But I feel like no one was doing those. You know, as a big comedy fan, I was like, everybody's touched on airlines and family and drinking and uh, girlfriends or whatever. No one's really doing the whole introversion uh, therapy, weirdo, low self-esteem stuff. So I really honed in on that because I'm obsessed with it because it's all I think about. It consumes me. So I figure, hey, if it's consuming me and no one's doing it, this is a perfect uh, thing to, to write. It's perfect fodder for comedy. And once I did it, it really resonated. It was kind of bombing on the road because the road is very, I don't want to say lowest common denominator, but for a guy like me, I don't really, I do now a little bit, but I never really sold tickets. You know, when you start selling tickets, people come to see you. But for me, it was like, we're papering the room at the Dayton Funny Bone. So you get the fat guy with his dumb, ugly wife and then the uh, the guy with the limp and the rascal scooter guy and the guy in the camo and this guy and that guy. And nothing wrong with these people, but they're they're just there like, look, we're going to have some wings and we, wanna, we don't want to think. We want to laugh. We want to see an action movie. We want to see a guy slipping on a banana peel. We don't want to hear about your dumb uh, existential crisis. So... I really had to work those out to make them accessible for the layman. And that was really difficult, but they paid off. Because once I put those online, those connect more than any joke about uh, a girlfriend or a boner or whatever. Do you feel like when you're on stage, all of those maybe fears and anxiety slightly go away? Is that where you feel most comfortable? Uh, if it's going well, yeah. I did a, I did two shows at this club here, The Stand. And the first show was like, I was just floating. I was like, they get me. Everything's clicking. Everything's working. I'm, I'm comfortable. They're comfortable. And the second show, I had two ladies talking. And I told them, hey, could you shut up? And they just started like, ah, they're like laughing at me. Like, you think you, we're going to shut up because of you? You fucking, and, and, you know, I just immediately shut down. I just started crumbling. And I was like, ah. And then like a joke didn't hit. So then that's another thing. And you just start... Just start, like, you, you feel smaller and smaller. And it was the same material, same room, same night. Horrible. So, like, you know, we're always, uh, people always ask questions about comedy, but we, we pretend or we talk like that every show is the same. It's like a full house with nice people. No, no, every show is completely different, which is also why it's great. You know, these people don't get it. That's tourists. They barely speak English. These people hate straight white males or whatever the hell. There's always some factor, and that's the problem with comedy like if you if you hit a home run, it counts as a home run. If I if I dunk a basket, that's two points. But this joke on this show murders, and the same joke on the next show doesn't murder. So you're like, God, that's what's so frustrating about comedy. But it's also why it's exciting, I guess. So after you you then moved to New York mm-hmm. once you wanted to fully pursue comedy, right? Oh yeah. And you uh, there's. I mean, in your special, great special, you talk about getting mugged. Yeah. You talk about your how in the beginning you're bombing. Yeah. How you're not making any money. Will you talk about that a little bit more in depth and how sure. how you're paying your bills? What you know? What those first couple of years are looking like when you're you know bombing and you're not you know at the at the level you are today. Oh, it's bleak, man. I, I couldn't do it again. Seriously, like I started in New Orleans. I was a kid. I was like a piece of shit, like whippersnapper. I was like a delinquent, you know, like I was a street kid. We would just run around and like, how could we, one time we got, we got pretty drunk and we saw, we were walking around a parking lot and we saw a, a yappy dog in the guy's car and the car window was like, you know, two inches open so the dog could live. So we came up with this idea to go in the grocery store that the, that the car was parked at. We did a bunch of whippets in the, uh, what do you call those, uh, 
Cool Whip. You know, we did a bunch of those. And then we got all loopy, and we decided to get pretty pretty clever idea. We got uh, laxatives and f- put them in, like, dog treats and fed them to the dog through that little window and watched as the dog shit all over this guy's car. And that was our night. That was it. Wow. Like, that's where we were at in New Orleans. But... Good times. <laughs> so moving to New York wasn't even like, people were like, what are you, crazy? Oh, my God, is this your passion? Is this your dream? I was like, that's eh, something to do. I don't know if it's going to work out. It probably won't, but I have s- such little going on. I'm My back is such against the cliff that, ah, fuck it. I've, I love New York. I went to film school here, and I, like, fell in love with the city, and I, I never really fit in, felt like, and my parents are weird. So that was, you know, who cares? Let's, I got nothing behind me. Let's go. And I moved up there with, like, three or four guys and just... You know, it's fun. I, again, it's a, it's a young man's game, you know, 22, 23, living in Brooklyn, the hour and a half train ride to get in the city, uh, begging people to let me work there. I was a construction worker. I did a, a furniture moving. I was a janitor for a couple of years. Uh, you know, that's th- those job titles just show where my self-esteem was at, which is funny. I never was like, well, maybe I'll be a banker. That was crazy. So, uh, and then we would just get out of work and we would all, and this is kind of before smartphones. So we would all just write down what open mics were at what time. And we were just like cockroaches. All the comics would just flee or what do you call it? Like swarm to those mics. And, you know, you, you bomb and then you do it again the next day. And then you get drunk at night and you do it, wake up, you're hungover, you go to work and you do mics and did that for probably five years. You know, until a little bit of traction started happening and any kind of traction was like, oh, God, it was uh, unbelievable. I couldn't even wrap my head around it. Like, Comedy Central is doing a showcase at the UCB and you're on it. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, it's not filmed. It's not paid. It's nothing to it. But just the idea that the word Comedy Central was on it, you know, for a young Louisiana boy was uh, quite astounding. So, uh, yeah, it was... It was rough, man, in the muggings. But again, I was so drunk the whole time. Like once 6 p.m. hit, I had a beer in my hand wow. I, I, every day. I was a mess. And, uh, you know, it was like you get paid and drink tickets a lot. And some people were like normal, smart, responsible comics were like, here, you want mine? I, I don't want to drink tonight. I was like, yeah, what are you kidding? And I was drinking, you know, off of the bar. Like somebody would leave half a beer. You just take it. I, uh, I was such a sewer rat. But, uh, yeah, you know, so when, every time I got mugged, I was – Either in a blackout or uh, close to one. Do you remember? Do you remember any of your muggings? I remember every one. Yeah, yeah. Do you have, do you have I, a favorite mugging story? If that, uh... sure, sure. Well, one is a, has a happy ending, and two don't. Okay, so I'll give the happy ending. Uh, plus, I got robbed so much in New Orleans. I grew up in the inner city, and it was pretty dicey. So I was kind of used to that. That part I could deal with. Like to me, Josh over here not liking me is is more soul crushing than getting my wallet stolen, which is a uh, doesn't make sense, but that's where I'm at. That's why I get weird when people are like, you're, you're a comedy offended to me. I'm like, I don't want to hurt you. I just do what I think is funny. I'm not trying to hurt anybody. <laughs> I just think uh, the Holocaust has some humor to it, you know. We can find it, and it's challenging, but either way. So, and again, I don't like the Holocaust. That's what people don't get. <laughs> that's why it's funny, because it's Mark not Norman to be does funny. not like the Holocaust. Of course not. I mean, it was pretty impressive, let's be honest. But wait, why are you laughing? Huh? This is offensive. <laughs> you know, see, that's what I don't get. So, whatever. Um, so yeah, one time I was walking home from, uh, I got off the train, you know, when the trains in Brooklyn, uh, in Crown Heights, most likely, once it gets late enough, those trains just kind of give up. They're like, we're doing what we want. This is not a six train anymore. This is a Q train and fuck your mother and all that. So you're like, all right. And you just, you don't have any money for a cab. So you just do it. So I got off on the train. It was like way away from my house, but I was like, fuck it. I'll walk it. 
And uh, I'm walking down, I think it was New York Avenue or No Strand or something like that. And I see five guys on the corner, like big thuggy guys shooting dice. I got out of a movie, drinking 40s, music, the whole thing, laughing. And I was like, ah, I'm just going to, I'm going to walk on the other side of the street. Well, I walk down, I pass them, I feel pretty good, and I'm pretty drunk. And an older guy's coming towards me, old black guy, beard, the whole thing. And he gets up to me, he goes, I had an iPod at the time, like the old school one. And he goes, uh, give me that radio. And he was a big guy. And I was like, so drunk that I wasn't nervous. I was like, it's not a radio. That's where my head was at. <laughs> and he just grabs it and I grab it back. So we're grabbing at the cord like this. And he just picks me up and he starts slamming me against that. You know, when the business closes, that metal thing goes down. He was like hitting and it was like, pow, pow. Because those things are so loud. And, uh, you know, I'm kicking him. I'm punching him. And he won't budge. I think he was on PCP or something because he had this look in his eye. And uh, these guys ran over. And pulled him off me and beat the shit out of the guy. I mean, like, kicking him in the face and stomping on him and stuff. And uh, my iPod hit the ground. I, I watched them for a second. I grabbed my iPod. I said, thanks, and I ran home. Wow. So I got away with all my shit, which was rare. But you can't judge. I judged those guys, and I didn't judge the old guy, and I was wrong. So you never know. And the other two have uh, worse endings? Yeah, well, the other two, they got my stuff. Uh. One, one I've... There was a bar called Rudy's in Manhattan. It had free hot dogs with every beer. So, you know, two birds with one uh, alcohol problem. And I would get drunk <laughs> and eat eat hot dogs. And then I got way too drunk and they threw me out. And uh, I was like bouncing off the walls on 10th Avenue or 9th Avenue. And I saw like a kind of a alcove, like four stairs in an apartment that kind of looked warm. And calm. I was like, I'm just going to lay there for like five minutes, get my shit together, you know, my wits about me. And then I'll go go home. And uh, I passed out. I woke up. There's five guys going through my shit very violently. And they were, like, tugging me around and, you know, doing this, trying to get in my back pockets. And I was like, uh, uh. And then one of them goes, he's getting up. <laughs> Hit me. And I went out again. And I woke up. The sun was shining. The birds were chirping. And I lost everything. <sighs> yeah, comedy. Since then, <laughs> since then, you've been okay? Since then, I've been okay. I fell asleep on the train once. And a guy stole some shit uh, while I was passed out on the L. I woke up in Canarsie. Uh, but since then, yeah, all good. I, I, I own an apartment in New York. Uh, I've done some television things. I've had sex with real women. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so things have been much better. But I, I, I don't know if I could do it again. So talk about that, that turning point from being, you know, a struggle. could I say struggling comic? Sure. Uh, Still struggling. <laughs> but, Always struggling. But to, I mean, you know, finding definitely uh, a lot of success. Yeah. Like, was there one big moment, do you feel like? Was there mm. one? Or, or maybe it's not even like an actual event. Maybe it's in your head that you realize, yeah. oh, oh shit, this is like, I'm good at this. I'm having success with this. Yeah, that's uh, another another solid question there. Thank you. Well done, sir. Felix? Yes, sir. I always say that's an underrated name, <laughs> Felix. I'm going to name my kid Felix, and I like Shep. I'd be on Shep. 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 S-H-E-P? Yeah, one of my heroes, Shep Gordon. I just love that name, Shep. I love the name Felix, underrated. You don't meet a lot. Is it a Jewish thing? It, Levine's kind of Jewish. Well, that's definitely a big old Hebe thing. But I'm talking about <laughs> Felix. I feel like you don't hear it. It's a Latin name. Ah, is it good luck? It is. Look at you. You got Come some on. Latin, Latin knowledge. I, li I like Snapple, and I read the caps. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, you're Jewish? Yeah, I have Jewish heritage. Ah, that's funny because that answer was Jewish. <laughs> <Yay>! <laughs> but see, I make jokes but, and people but, get offended. I don't know. Well, you're All supposed right. to be Jewish through your mom. My mom is not Jewish, oh, okay. and her mom isn't Jewish either. Oh. So 
but well, both grandfathers are. So you know, it's it's a little. You gotta, you gotta. It's you're like Jewish, sprink, it's, yeah. As they say, <laughs> that's not my joke. But yeah, uh, I think I got a little of that myself. I wish I was yeah. Jewish. I'm a big fan. You, <laughs> All my heroes are Jewish. You talk a lot about Jews. It's like you love Jews. Well, let me just go. You off love on Jews a, and you love the gays. Yes. Let me. Well, you love all people. Honestly, you all. I think this well, is what it, people need to know. You love yeah. all people. Yeah, and every group's got a a perk and a and, a, and flaws. Exactly. I mean, we're all human. Whatever. Uh, some have different flaws, but people get so. It's mostly white people. They just hear you talk about a brown group and they just panic. So you're like, I know, but I talk about the white group too, and they're like, Yeah, yeah, but they're struggling, and I'm like. More in your eyes than my eyes, you know, so we could do this all day. But Jews, 6% of the country, running everything, killing it, and everything used to be restricted. Like, they weren't allowed places, and there's a ton of Jew hate, and they get no street cred for their hate. Mm. You know, like these, uh, what are those, the Charlottesville shit? Yes. They hate Jews as well, you know? Like, the, the KKK hates Jews as well. But I feel like uh, black folk have cornered the market in, in the uh, KKK hate. Right, Josh? Yeah, smart move. But I just feel like Jews aren't getting their, their hate cred. Um, and there's so few of them. And they're so pro- prominent in the country and everything. Entertainment, real estate, accounting. You ever go uh, hang out in, in Williamsburg? Oh, they don't like me. Uh- <laughs> they don't like me. Because they, they're like, hey, you Jewish? I'm like, no. And they're like, all right, get out of here. I'm not crazy about the Hasids. The Orthodox have got some problems. But that's every religion. You go to the extreme uh, Christians, and they're wacko, and they hate the gays, and then uh, extreme Muslims are doing all kinds of kooky stuff. So I'm not a fan of extremes, but I like a moderate. All right. What the hell were we talking about? What was the question that I even asked? Oh, do you feel like there's a big turning point? Ah, Where's the turning point, Mark? Welcome back. Well, good save. Good save. Uh, Big turning point one. I don't feel like I have a thing. Like, I'm not special. You know, like, some guys, like, I remember I remember seeing Michael Che start doing comedy. I, I was there when he started. Like, I saw him do his first couple sets. And right, th- right away, you're like, he's green and he's new, but he's got something. He's got it. And right when you saw that, you're like, this guy's going places. And I don't think I have that. I'm very nebbishy and annoying, and I'm trying to figure it out, and I'm talking about pedophilia and school shootings and all this, and I can't help myself. And I think that's always hurt me. So anything I get, I feel like I got to kill it. I don't have that charm. I don't have that zest about me that some people have. And uh, so I did my first Conan. And I remember trying so hard to get a I was like, I need to get a late night. I felt like that was something I could almost attain. And it was a joke-heavy medium. It's like you go up, you tell five minutes of jokes, and you're done. There's no interview. There's no whatever. It's just jokes. And I got jokes. So I felt like I needed that. So I just kept sending tapes into Conan. And for some reason, Conan felt attainable. The Tonight Show and Letterman was too formally suity. But I felt like Conan I could get. So after like five years of sending tapes, maybe four years, I got a date. I couldn't believe it. I remember where I was when my manager called. I was in a cab on the way to Parkside Lounge on Houston to do a shitty open mic. And I got, I was like, oh my God, I got it. It was September something or other. And I was like, oh man, September. September came and went, never did it. Then finally they called me back in like January, like, all right, February 20th, you're doing it. Still remember the date, 2013, flew out to LA and I ran that set 8,000 times and it just clicked baby it was like magic everything worked i was getting applause breaks conan loved it and i've done the show every year since off of that first set and i remember bringing back to michael che they all watched it all my friends watched it uh at a bar and he texted me 
I was so keyed up after the set, you know, I'm doing the wave at the audience is clapping and I go, dream come true. And you couldn't really hear it because the audience was cheering, but uh, he heard it and texted me, dream come true. And I remember that was a nice moment. But uh, yeah, that was a big one for me. Like, okay, I have no self-esteem. I have zero self-worth. I just did Conan. I just did a television show. I killed it. It went well. I got some hope here. And you can tell your parents, you know, my parents, you can't really go, hey, I got into the, to the New York Comedy Club. They go, oh, all right. What do you mean you got in? You're like, well, they passed me. They're like, oh, okay, where's that? That's in New York. All right, never heard of it. All right. But when you go Conan, they go, oh, we've heard of Conan. This is television. We can show our friends and family. Now we got something. So I felt like that was a big turning point. Then I met Amy Schumer. That was a big one. And uh, just just starting to get booked more, a little more road work, and that felt big. And then, you, you know, you meet Louis C.K., and then you do an hour special, and then you do another Conan, and you do a Fallon, and... I uh, started a podcast with my friend, and then I met Jerry Seinfeld, and so now it feels like it's really, we're really humming a little bit. There's something that I do like uh, in hearing, I mean, I think it was on Rogan, or I don't know where it was, it might have been on Callan and Shab recently that I heard you talk about it, is like, on the on the surface, you're the, I mean, it's jokes, it's jokes oh, right yeah. and left, but at the same time, you work incredibly hard, yes. and you, you're very devoted to your craft. Yes. Where does that come from? Uh, a couple of things. One, it just comes from, I don't know how else to do it. Like, I don't know how else to work a, a good pace without busting your ass. Because, you know, we've all seen guys who blow up or girls who blow up and then they just kind of fizzle. I don't want that to happen. I want every joke pretty much to be a home run. Otherwise, they won't laugh. So I'm like, I got to work hard at it. And then if you're if you're on stage and you do 20% killer and then 20% bad, people are going to go, well, it was pretty good, but that back half sucked. And you go, ah, I don't want the back half to suck. So I don't know how else to keep up a, a solid a bar unless you just keep busting your ass. And also, I like to work. If you're working towards something, I feel like that's when you're the happiest in life. And, and when, you, you know, things are frustrating, that means you're on your way to getting it. And if you just stick with it and figuring out that joke is pretty, to me, that's like, the ultimate high or whatever, as cheesy as that sounds. So, like, once you get it, because I've got jokes I've been working on for four or five years, and I, one day you're just like, ah, oh, I got it. I got the, I got cracked the code. You're in the shower going, I fucking got it. And uh, to me, that's what it's all about. And it, that special you watched, every joke was like that. Like, they took weeks. Or s- some popped in right away, but that's super rare. And uh, to me, that's, you know, that's what life is, is that Sisyphus. You're rolling the ball up the hill, and then, they, you know, you, you finish your special, you nail the joke, then the ball rolls down, you roll it back up again. And that's that's the key to happiness, I think. Beautiful. We're going to take a quick break. All right. Because we're going to talk about something that you love. Oh, yeah. Support for Where's This Going comes from Manscaped, who is number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools, Mark, for yes. all of your family jewels. You got that right. I think I got, what is it called? Like the... The lawnmower, of the course. The lawnmower, yes. I love that thing, and I bring it on the road with me, and I just bring that, and it comes with a little nice velvet pouch, and I just trim up my baseline of my dong because it gives me an extra inch. Also, my pubes will come out to here. If I don't trim it, my pubes look like your hair. I got to just keep zapping away. Otherwise, all the... Yeah, you won't see the sidewalk, if you know what I mean. <laughs> the lawnmower 2.0, the yes. one that Mark is referencing, has proprietary skin-safe technology. So this trimmer will not nick or snag 
your nuts. Nice. Over one million men have confidently manscaped, including Mark Normand, with Manscaped's precision-engineered tools. True. This trimmer's so good, even Mark Cuban from NBC's hit TV show Shark Tank offered Manscaped a deal. Then there's this. I don't know if you have it yet. You might want to try it. Please. Manscaped also has the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. Mark, you already put deodorant on your armpits, so why are you not putting deodorant on the smelliest part of your body? It's a good point. Good point. And that gets, uh, you know, that's where my girl likes to cuddle. (laughs) Down in that nether region. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code WTG at manscaped.com. Always use the right tools for the job, and Mark, your balls will thank you. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, you're talking about a kid from the 80s, so I was down there with a the scissors. Looks oh, like I was trying to, I was like the sweaty guy with a, trying to undo the time bomb in the movie, like, ah, don't hit a vein, you know. Uh, okay, there's one thing that I've been wondering this whole time that you always touch upon, I, I notice, in, in interviews, but I don't think anybody's really gone in-depth with Uh-oh. it. Uh-oh. But it, I don't want it to get too dark on you. You <laughs> Bring ready? It on. First question is a little lighter. Do you think that without, if you didn't have this anxiety or this low self worth, do you think you'd be the comic you are today? No, no. Sadly, I think you need the, all the parts of the gumbo. Uh, you need all those ingredients. You know, sometimes it's a very Louisiana yeah. <laughs> reference. You know, like sometimes you'll be like seeing somebody make a stew, and there's a bunch of chicken bones in there, and there's a carcass in there, and you're like, I don't want the carcass. But without the carcass. You wouldn't have the flavor. And I think as much of a curse as it is, you need that you need that sour to make the sweet better a little bit. And uh, I wouldn't work hard, you know, if I – it's like that Jim Jeffries joke. He's like, America's all confidence with no, no skills. So you, who would you rather, the nervous guy who's freaking out about his skills or the guy who's just like, I'm great? You know, the guy working on your car is going, I, f- I put it together, so it's fine. Don't worry, I'm great. But the nervous guys should be like, I, I got to nail this or else the car's going to blow up and I'll get sued or whatever. So that's how I feel. I feel like I got to nail this. So then without that pressure, I wouldn't feel like I wouldn't nail anything. Does that all come from your childhood, your, your family, your parents? Would you, is there something that you could pinpoint? Yeah, well, my dad is pretty, uh, I don't want to, you know, out him too much, but he's like, He's got really low self-esteem, and I think it rubbed off on me. So he's always like, you got to do this. This person called you. You have to call them back. What are you, crazy? You got to write them a thank you letter. You're like, what? It was just the guy that, that uh, Dwayne Reed. He does, that's what he does. He bags your shit. You're like, you got to thank that guy. What are you, crazy? You're, you're so lucky he bagged your shit. You're like, okay, okay. So I immediately, even as a young kid, was like, all right, any, anytime somebody does anything for me, I got to thank them. I got to be grateful. So I, I think that was beaten into me. So even when a crowd laughs, I'm like, all right, well, they laugh, but you still got to earn the next one. You, this ain't no uh, joyride here. So I think I have some of that in me, I guess. Do you ever have moments where now you're able, like, I think I've started following you for about two or three years now. Mm. Um, you know, I think I first saw you on somewhere on social media. Do you ever, you know, sit back and think holy shit you know this is i never expected to be here all the time all the time i mean me and my friend joe list we're just he's from this shithole in massachusetts and i'm from louisiana and we'll just sit there and go like we did it i'm i'm texting jerry seinfeld over here man what's going on he's he's hanging out with this guy and that guy and you know one of our friends doing hbo hbo special which is mind-boggling and so we 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 always try to be grateful i'm a big kurt Kurt Vonnegut fan, he always just talks about, like, 
you got to take a minute and just sit there because all we do all day long, if you read the internet, is rarely positivity. You know, sometimes they'll show a picture of a woman with like a Chewbacca mask and she's like, ha, 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 and that goes viral. It's like, we're craving that. There's so much negativity. It's Trump and it's politics and it's war and school shootings and this and that. And it's like, uh, he's sexist, he's racist. This guy, that guy's like, shut up for two seconds. We got Uber Eats. Listen to us. We got Diner Dash or Door Dash. We got Facebook. We can do whatever we want. We got email. is unbelievable. We got every, look at every business. A hundred years ago, that was a steel mill. That was a rubber factory. Now it's a fucking Froyo shop. That's an escape room. That's laser tag. It's lofts with a fucking smoothie joint in the bottom of it. We used to get out outside and work in our hands and, and fucking bend metal and uh, people would lose an arm. My uncle has no arms. He's like, oh, he worked in a mill. You know, and you're like, oh, okay. That was normal. Now it's like, oh, this guy left a Yelp review because he got tater tots when he asked for curly fries. Oh, the humanity. Suck it up, cunts. Get it together. We got it good. Better than you, but good. <laughs> I'm pointing to a black guy. But yeah, I'm just saying. Even, and you know, and we've made... We have made progress in the world, but we don't like to focus on the progress because it feels good to be a victim. We want that pat on the back. Like, when I was a kid, you hid all your shit. Like, I was a bedwetter. I had anxiety. I had braces. I had dandruff. We, had, we didn't have any money. We had powdered milk. My friends would come over and go, hey, you got any Pepsi? And I'd look in the fridge and go, oh, shit, we got powdered milk. Now everybody's going, hey, I'm poor. I have depression. I was molested. Like, they get points for that now. And you're going, hey, just fucking... Suck it up and be interesting and stop trying to focus on all the negative shit like that's your, that's your personality. You got molested? No, I don't want to hear about that. I'm, I'm sorry you got molested. That's horrible. But, like, yeah, you're, be more than molestation. Up, show me what you did. You know, you used to have to overcome. You know, you used to be in a wheelchair, and then you won the Olympic Special Olympics. Like, oh, this guy was uh, killed, uh, you know, he lost his legs in a fire, and now he won the Special Olympics. Now we just go, I lost my legs in a fire. How about a high five? No, that's not enough. I'm sorry you lost your legs. I get it. But I'm just saying overcome. We're, we're, we're rewarding the wrong things now. We're rewarding losing. You know, mm. we got to reward. And I'm not, I'm not one of these participation. Hey, oh, we're getting these kids. We're going to make them soft. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying life is pretty good, and it's only as good as you make it. So if you're sitting around on Twitter just going, oh, my God, this guy groped a chick on the subway. It's like, yeah, yeah, that happens. It's going to happen forever. Move on. Hug your kids. Get a hobby. Create something, you twat. Come on. Sorry. I love it. I love it. I I'm love an it. asshole. <laughs> no, there's so much truth to it. How do, you, how do you find, you know, you talk about life is good. How do you find small happiness in other things than comedy? Like, I, what do you like to do on your own? You're not, I mean, you're, you're working every day, but... When you're not. I'm obsessed with all this stuff, and I, I listen to TED Talks and podcasts, and I read books about all this shit. It's all about relationships, working at something, having a goal, and accomplishing the goal. It's all about satisfaction. You know, we, we sit there and go, why am I not happy? And then when somebody's sad for two seconds, they go, I'm miserable. And you're like, well, hey, you retard. You're not going to be happy unless you have those sad moments. When you're sad, sit there and go, I'm sad. Yeah, this sucks. I feel shitty. I hate it right now. But it, you're going to get out of it. You can't. That's not how the world works. You can't just always be happy because then you won't be happy because then it'll just be baseline. It'll be it'll be a default. So you have to have the ebb and the flow or else 
that's that's life. Like you're gonna fight with your girlfriend, and you're gonna go, "I hate this bitch. Why am I with her? This sucks." And then you're gonna get out of it, and you're gonna go, "Man, this is great. I almost dumped her." That's part of life. And we were so coddled now. I feel like that we we don't want those sad parts, but embrace the sad and get a fucking. Get a fucking hobby. Like, I remember when I started comedy, all my friends are a bunch of meathead mooks in New Orleans. Now they're all firemen and cops and shit. And they're all like, oh, you're doing comedy? What are you, some kind of theater douche? Like, no, I'm just trying it. It's funny. I don't know. And now they're all like, so proud of you, buddy. That was great. You really did it. So, like, there's going to be, people are so quick to negate and they're so quick to blame. I can't do this because everybody's coming down on me and my my world is harder than your world. And I was diddled once again. I got to bring that up. So, like, you got to find your own way. It's going to be hard, but figure it out and do what you want to do. There's so many options now. You want to write a blog? You want to write poetry? Boom, get a, get a Tumblr page, and now, boom, you're, you got poetry out there. Now it's out in the world. That You didn't have that before. Before, you had to stand on the corner like an idiot and read it, you know, with a vest on and a and a shitty typewriter like you're, you're special, and uh, you had to make something and try to get it published. Now it's all right there for you. It's funny. The easier things get, the sadder people get. You know, we keep going away from struggle. You got to go towards struggle. Go, oh, this is hard. I'm going to do it. That's what we should think. Let me try it. Uh, Yeah, I might fail, but I'll try something else and I might nail that, you know? So we're we're obsessed with just not doing stuff because it might be bad. It might hurt us. It might be hard. But the hard is what we, everything used to be hard as as, uh, like 100 years ago. Like you had to farm. I want this plant. I got to go farm. Now it's like, I want this plant. I'll get on Amazon. So now you don't have that struggle and you have nothing to fight for and you get that plant the next day for 12 bucks. It's over. Now life is meaningless. Mm. You need meaning. I don't know if this is I didn't know I didn't know you were sense. this I, there's so much wisdom to what you're saying. Well, I just sit. I don't have a day job, folks. So I <laughs> sit and I see, stew. It's also why I'm unhappy. And you, <laughs> but I'm happy. I'm is, just kidding. Is there a is there a piece of advice that you would you would have liked to to know when you were 22 and starting that you now know? Cuz I feel like there's so much a lot of what you're saying is um you know, as I said, it's wise, but it's it sounds like someone who's experienced, who's learned, who's lived. Uh-huh. Is there something that you wish that you knew at 22 years old that that you now know? Well, I wish I had started comedy younger because mm. I always meet these kids. I'm like, hey, I'm 17. I'm like, ah, oh, you're such a smart kid. I was so obsessed with fitting in and partying and getting drunk and all that because I was just running from everything. I was always running. So I think uh, I would have taken, I would have done therapy a lot younger. I'm a big therapy douche. I, I got into it. It changed my life. I got a couple friends into it. Now they're better. Uh, I wish I would have cooled it with the alcohol and the drugs. That was a kind of a waste of time i wasted so many years and I, like, i'll see people now because i'm doing comedy so i'm more i have more exposure to these people i went to high school with and they'll see me at a party or, or something in new orleans and they'll go remember when you did this and i'm like nah i was drunk i don't remember any, I, I, 16 percent of my life is just gone to alcohol so that's a bummer so i would be like hey cool with the drinking find comedy earlier and, and i would say try shit like I've had a million things where I go, ooh, you know it would be a funny sketch? If you did this or this, people go, that's funny. And I go, I'm going to shoot that. I never shoot it. Just fucking shoot it. Get a Saturday together. Get a couple friends. Suck it up. Pay the $200 it's going to cost to get a camera or a boom mic or whatever. Just suck it up and shoot it and edit it and learn how to edit. Boom. Now learn how to put things on YouTube. 
bam, now your life is, you're doing something with your life, you know? And, and yeah, the video could suck and all your friends are going to make fun of it and the comments are going to be horrific, but don't let that stop you because you're doing better than them because at least you made something and those chooches didn't. Sorry, I'm trying to cut back on my uh, slurs and, and uh, mean words. How, is, how has therapy helped you? Oh, wow. Well, I mean, to get to the problem, you got to know what the problem is. Mm. And I was a big runner. I ran from everything. So I didn't, I would just kind of go, this guy sucks and he's got it against me and he's got a thing for me and fuck him. And, and then you start going, oh, no, it's all me. It's all in here. It's all internal. I got to work on my own shit before I can start blaming other people. And that was, uh, that was a big one for me. Yeah. And you said you got your friends into it as well? I got a couple guys in, you know, like a lot of these guys I know are very, you know, stuck in their ways and kind of shit. So I got them in and now they're better. And it, it even if nothing comes of it, you will learn about yourself a little more. You'll be a little more introspective. And uh, just even having a place to vent is is quality for a lot of people. Because most people just bottle, bottle, bottle. When you bottle, man, the uh, the resentment, it's pretty ugly. And it can just kind of rot you from the inside. Just the idea that so many people have gone without therapy their whole lives is very impressive slash uh, worrisome. You know, like a lot of people I think could have really benefited. I'm not saying everybody needs it, but a guy like me definitely does. What age did you start going to therapy? Probably about four years ago. So I guess 32, 33, 32, 31. You're 36 now? 36, just turned. Wow. It's a tough age because 35 is like, I'm right in there. I'm in the mid-30s. I'm not old. I'm not young. But now I feel like, all right, now I'm in the back half. So that sucks. I feel like in the past couple of years, correct me if you, if, you, if you disagree, your rise has been somewhat exponential and mm-hmm. it's continued to go on this really great trajectory. Uh-huh. Where do you hope to, to be five years down the line, 10 years down the line, uh-huh. 20 years down the line, dare I say? Dare you say, I, I hope to be, you know, a Carlin-y, kind of Priory, kind of Chris Rocky, Chappelle-y, seinfeld guy. I just want to be in the mix, you know, of those good comics. I don't know if I have what it takes because those guys are phenoms, but uh, I hope to be in that world. And I just hope to keep creating because that's the cool thing about jokes is they don't, they don't exist until you write them. So they're just... Poof, now one day this joke works. I'm just saying words in a certain order over and over. Ah, there it is. I got it. It's like a magic trick that you just created. <laughs> it's like a, each joke is an invention. You invented that thing. So I, I, I love the idea that in 10 years I'll have jokes that I couldn't have even thought of now because you just keep becoming a better writer if you stick with it. Some comics get worse. But I love the idea that there will be there's more in the tank and uh, new experiences will cause new material and so on. So... Yeah, I just want to keep putting out work. That's why all these guys put out special. Louis C.K. put out a special a year for many years because that's just fear of death. We're just like, hey, I'm trying to put my stamp on the world before I croak as much as possible. And I, I get that, and I'd like to do stuff like that. Do you have goals in terms of, like, I want a Netflix special, I want to sell out Madison Square Garden, I want to do this or that? Are there any big ones that you can think of off the top of your head? Sure, I'd like to... Uh I'd like to have a special, I have a show idea. I've, I've pitched 13 shows, 12 shows now to, to nothing. And uh, some of them I was really proud of and I worked really hard on. And you just fly out to L.A., you pitch, you pitch, nobody cares. You come back and the whole dream is ruined. I mean, we do practice pitches, Skype calls, rewrites, uh, scripts, the whole thing to nothing. And I've done 12 to 13 of those and they've all been squashed. 
Uh, but I have a show idea, and I, I don't know if I should say it because somebody might steal it, but I would like to be a big enough name in comedy where I have some income, you know, like some real money I can make my own show. And I have two ideas. One, I want to do a cartoon a la Bill Burr, F is for Family, uh, about my childhood in New Orleans. I had a transgender nanny. I grew up in a dilapidated mansion. I grew up in a poor black neighborhood. I was the white kid. Uh, Public school, the whole thing. So that would be fun. Bike got stolen, you know, four or five times a year, whatever. And then that would be fun. But my other idea, and this is when I have some money and some, some recognition, I would like to have a Shark Tank style show where people pitch sketches to me and that could go viral or really pop, much like a product could take off financially. This would be hilarious. That would be the goal. And I could pay them to shoot. I'd be like, I'll give you capital. Like some random nobody in Park Slope, these two kids could come up and go, hey, we got an idea for a sketch. And I would sit there and go, let me hear it. I'm a funny guy. I can, I can uh, evaluate. And I go, well, I'm going to buy that sketch. We'll put it on my network, on my YouTube page, and we'll pay you. And that, uh, and that would be my show. Uh, do you get it? I do get it. Yeah. That's a good idea. I hope it's, nobody steals it. I hope nobody steals it either, but it's uh, I call it Shark Tank. No, no. I don't know what I'd call it, but uh, just it's me and maybe some other, you know, you get your you get like an Ali Wong in there or a Michael Che or a Colin Jost or Lauren Michael, somebody who knows sketch, and then you guys sit there like just like Shark Tank and you listen and then you 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 buy it and then you shoot it. I think there's part of you also that um from the, at least from in, in the short time that I've I've known you now, uh you do like to, to to help other people. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Where do you think that stems from? Is it because you would have liked or were you helped, you feel like? Or yeah. you would have liked to be more helped when you were coming up as a comic? I was helped, I think, mostly because not even my joke writing. I think I was helped because I was so obsessed with comedy and I loved it so much. I think people could see that. And I think that was that was like 70%. And then the jokes were fine, too, because I could still do well in front of these people. You know, your Schumers, your Louis, your Seinfelds, whatever you want to call it, Tom Papa. A lot of people gave me a break. Uh, so, But also, I think the industry, we put too much stock in the industry. The industry is fucking clueless. There's like six funny people in the industry. But the rest are just finance guys in suits who sit at a CAA or, you know, UTA, all these agencies, and they go, who's the hot guy? Who's the hot girl? We got to have this. We got to have that. Like, you haven't even mentioned funny yet. And that's what bothers me because we're in the funny biz. So I want to help people because I feel like I know more than them. They're just, they just in a building. They got a suit and nice shoes. I don't have any of that, but I know more than you about comedy. I've studied it. You haven't studied it. They all sit there and go, yeah, I love Pryor. They go, yeah, give me a Pryor bit. And they go, well, you know, yeah, you know. And then you go, how about Carlin? I love Carlin. Well, what's a Carlin bit? Ah, they don't fucking know. But they just regurgitate the same shit they've heard. So I feel like I'd rather help somebody put out good shit than them make the same horse shit they've been making over and over and losing money and all that when they don't know. They all, they're, they're just shooting guesses. They're shooting blanks. That's all. Let's see. Let's hope this sticks. But I feel like if you actually have some comedy knowledge and better taste of comedy, you could really... Make some good shit. Do you watch a lot of comedy yourself? Do you study it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. How the hell was that funny? Why did that get a laugh? Or, boy, he's got something. She's got charm. She's got a twinkle, something. So I, I always do that. And I love a good sketch. And I, I study viral videos, too. Viral videos are, like, the best comedy. And then some of these memes out there, most of them are stealing from actual funny people and just making something on Photoshop. But these are some of these memes are brilliant. I mean, mm-hmm. there's so many brilliant comedic minds out there who are just working 
at uh, LinkedIn or some shit, you know, or UPS callback. But yeah, uh, so yeah, I don't know. It'd be cool to give access to them, and that's what's great about the internet. What's the best piece of advice you have for a young aspiring comic? Uh, oof. Yeah, I get that a lot. Uh, you're not gonna like it, young comic, because every comic asks me on the road. They go, "Hey, I'm a comic." Uh, you know, the show lets out, and they go, "I love your show, but I gotta ask. I'm starting out." And, and I always tell them, and they go, "Ah." You can tell they just want me to go. Here's the magic pill. Eat it. You'll be funnier. Here, how about you open for me? Here's some money. They just want something. You gotta stop wanting and start going. Why am I not funny? Why do I suck? Look in the mirror. Listen to your sets. Do the set in your apartment over and over. Judge yourself. You have to you have to get to the bottom of why you are funny or why you are not funny. Instead of going, how do I get this? Where does the agent come in? I can't pay my bills. How am I going to do comedy and have a day job? Shut up. We all did it. You do it now. Look at you and go, I just bombed. Why did I bomb? Record the set. Listen to it and go, yeah, I do suck. Stop thinking you're great. And then you'll be funny. Also, don't try to be important out there. All these people going, rape is wrong. Yeah, no shit. Tell me why rape is good. That's comedy. Somebody will, sure, somebody will take that sound bite and run with and it. And run, run on Twitter. There's one other thing that I think really separates you. I think people are talking about you and Schultz as two people who are mastering kind of the social media, two comics oh. that are mastering the social media world. He's, he's light years beyond he, me. He does it a little bit differently, wise. but I'm wondering what you think about how you go about it and, you know, how has that helped your career and Huge. because there's, you know, some of the bits that from the special that you've posted here and there, because, you know, I'm watching the special. I'm like, oh, I've seen that. I've seen that. Right. I love that one. Right, right. That's a favorite. I picked um, that thing apart like a vulture because <laughs> I needed content for the Internet. How big do you think social media is for someone like yourself to continue on that on that way up? And how do you also, you know, I mean, you have a great social media, everyone, you know, followers, whatever. That's all great. But how do you also like dissociate yourself from that sometimes and, and still find happiness and, and and pleasure outside of the fact that, you know, you have all those followers and that love, even yeah. though there's some bad comments, but, sure. um, you know, it's in your regular full-time, life. Full-time job. You're so right because it's this weird, uh, what's the word? Uh, shark eating its own tail kind of thing. It's like this weird and never-ending loop of a uh, spiral. That's the word. It's this weird spiral of like, Okay, I'll post something. Oh, the post is doing well. All right, now I can finally stop posting because this one did well. But wait, now I got him on the hook, so I got to keep posting. Oh, that one didn't do as well. Now I got to get him back. So you you can never take a fucking break because you you had him, then you lose him, and you have him. You keep it. I'll, I'll do a great post, and I'll be fucking done for a week. But no, you got to keep going. Then if a post bombs, you got to put a new one up so it doesn't bomb, you know. So it's just like this thing that just keeps eating away at you and you can't it's like you're trying to go towards something it just keeps getting further away it's fucking frustrating but on the other hand it's helped me more i did a special nobody saw it i put all the clips online people are i'm getting recognized in the street now for the first time in my life you know you think i'm a i'm grew up in the 90s like oh you do a special you're in that's it you know i'm chris rock now but you're not you know as a dime a dozen now so uh, you got to find your own way and that's where schultz is uh he's like a black belt of marketing it's unbelievable all that dancing and the videos and the clips and the crowd work. Like, I don't have time for all that, and I'm too lazy for all that. He's, uh, he's, like, he's like a Shaolin monk with this shit, you know? I don't know how he does it. He's like a, a, a black ops, you know? But uh, I, I, just, I just do it as I do my act. I put a clip up. 
and then I hope it does well, and then I put another clip up. Like, once I feel like I'm losing them again, just like my jokes. Once I feel like they're bored, I put another clip, then another clip. So I just go clips, and I, all I can really do is stand up and podcast. So that's what I really promote online. I'm not, like, a sexy guy or a cool guy. I don't have the cool outfits and sneakers and so all that. So I just go straight clips, podcasts, and that's it. But it is frustrating, but it has helped me. So I'm kind of a... Uh, tethered to it right now to wrap things up we talked about five years down the line ten years down the line what do you hope the mark norman legacy is Mm. when it's all said and done i just want to all i want in life i don't need to be joe rogan or seinfeld or anything like that i just want to be able to fill up a room and have people go this guy's funny let's go see him okay we we get his humor like norm mcdonald's one of my big i'm a big obviously you know huge influence on me and i feel like he he's not the most popular guy he's not the most nobody he's like right there in that middle where you just go oh that guy's funny you know like he might be in a horrible movie next week but no one cares you still go he's fucking funny you know he might write a dumb book or he might have a sitcom that sucks but you're still like norm mcdonald's fucking hilarious you can't take that away from me. he's done so many funny things and i feel like i want to just be that i just want to be known as a funny guy even if i bomb and do some horrible thing they go yeah yeah but he's funny that's all i want i just want people to think i'm funny and be good at this and uh when i come to your town I want them to be excited to come see me, and then I want them to understand what I'm doing is good humor. Seinfeld once said, hey, fuck you. Every joke is a miracle, all right? Like, if this, if I'm doing the joke here, it's good. He said he had a guy in the crowd going, that's fucking great. He's like, yeah, yeah, I know. I worked it out for months. That's why I'm telling it to you at this beautiful theater. And I feel the same way. I'm like, look, unless I'm doing brand new shit at an open mic or something, This has all been worked out and honed and tested on different crowds, different locations. So enjoy it. Just enjoy it and and trust me. Have some fucking trust. I still do, you know, half full rooms to these people like, let's go see this guy. All right, we'll pay 40 bucks. uh, We'll get the parking and the babysitting. He better be funny. I get a lot of, you better be funny. I just want people to go, he's going to be funny. That's all I want. I love it. I love it. You can find Mark Norman on Instagram at Mark Normand, on Twitter at Mark Norm. You can find his special that I highly, highly recommend. Oh, Don't Be Yourself. You can watch the, the actual special on iTunes. You can listen to it on Spotify, SiriusXM, Pandora. He has a fantastic website, MarkNormandComedy.com, for all tours, dates, all that other good, good, juicy stuff. Mark, it is uh, truly, truly an honor to have you on the show. Uh, I started this podcast about six months ago. Wow. And, um, You're you know. Good at it. Thank you very much. And I, uh, you know, you've done all these big shows, you know, the Fallons, the Rogans, the everything. So for you to come on to my show um, at this point in is, is such an honor. And you are always welcome. So thank hey, you so much, man. Just you having water here. You're already a step up above 80% of the podcast. I go to some guy's basement. He molests me. And then when he gives me a pizza roll and we do a recording. And he goes, ah, oh, I forgot to record it. And I go, Jesus, what am I doing here? And then we make out and I leave. So... This is already a treat. You got Josh here. He's filming. He's got a nice beard. There's a studio. You Ubered me. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Mark Norman, everyone, thank you so much. Praise Allah. Praise Allah.